You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. There has long been a subject that I've wanted to look into, to research more, and to study more, and to do as much possible studying as I can. Something that's just very, very intriguing and very, very interesting to me. Yeah, and a lot of it is hearsay. A lot of it is speculation. And people, honestly, some people who do the searching kind of seem like nuts. And I don't mean that as bad like crazy, but or in cuckoo, kind of like that. I mean that the kind of... When they look for things and go hunting like this, they kind of seemed a little overlooking the obvious things, overlooking what they could be missing and the obvious interference. And I am one to believe that anything can be possible. A lot can happen and a lot can be possible. But I haven't seen proof that it doesn't exist. Of course, I also haven't seen 100% proof that it does. But... I haven't seen proof that it doesn't exist. So, people who, the skeptics and the naysayers, can't say no, it doesn't exist, because you don't have proof that it doesn't exist. But the people who search for and the positive people don't have proof that it does exist. So, they have just a lot of evidence of things that they can't explain. Things that they don't understand and don't know how. And while I have... I have witnessed very very interesting, peculiar things I can't explain. I also can't, I also can't definitively say, or I can't say with any conviction, that it is this. And I'm talking, of course, about ghost hunting and paranormal activity and stuff like that. And I can't speak 100% on the case. Whereas I don't, I haven't seen, I've seen evidence and proof that it could, but I haven't seen evidence 100% proof that it does, or anything to the contrary that it doesn't. So, I'm very, like I said, I'm very hesitant to say one way or the other, and to definitively make up my mind, and to convince you of, of either. But, a lot, my one personal incident goes back to a moment where, when I was in Minnesota, um, my parents had been visiting in their RV down in people who live in Minneapolis who live in that area knows know what I mean when I say savage S-A-V-A-G-E savage Minnesota they know what I mean when I say that and they live at they camped in their RV in a, at a campground in savage Minnesota and this was just after my beloved cat I grew up with with my cat Skittles no not named, although she does share a name with the candy she wasn't named for the candy. She was named for because when we looked up the research, and we did research, my sister and I did research to try and find out what are just very un, unusual, kind of interesting names, we found out that Skittles meant fun, or meant jumpy, or not necessarily erratic, but kind of goofy, kind of fun. And we said, yeah, I like that, and we went with it. And so that became her name. 
and she was named because of the term Skittles, from what I understand, and what we, well, the research that we did and we were able to find, Skittles means fun, or it means joyful, and so we named her that, and then she had a sister, not genetic, but a sister, we had two cats, Skittles and Tiggy, and we named her Tiggy because I always wanted to name a cat Tiger, or and she, was a, she was female, so we named her Tigress, and Tiggy for short. And Skittles, Skittles lasted a long time. I think Skittles was 21 when she passed away. And Skittles, I'm so proud that Skittles is in our family. I'm so, so envious of her and her memory. And I'm so happy that we got to know her and that she loved us and we loved her. And I'm so, as a, as a pet family, as a pet dad and a pet owner, I'm so proud to have loved her and I'm so proud of her of her life and her memory she for the last few years and I don't just mean like four or three years for the last few years of her life she had a lot going wrong with her as, pe as cats would in that age she had a lot of things going wrong with her she had bad hips she had a lot of things going wrong with her let's just say that and she had every reason countless countless reasons that she shouldn't live anymore, that she shouldn't be alive anymore. And she fought it every single step of the way with everything in, in her. She battled and she fought it. And she said, if I'm going to go, because I know I am, I'm going to go on my terms, on my terminology, when I decide and when I feel it's right, when I feel it's okay to go, that's when I'm going to go. And she kept climbing on things when her hips wouldn't take it. When she she boosted herself up and she climbed and we came up behind her and tried and offer her support to get up on the chairs. And she you could feel when you picked her up to help her get up, you could feel her push with her back legs. Like she was saying, I might not be able to do this, but that's not going to stop me from trying. And I'm going to push with all my might. And she fought everything, every step of the way. And I'm so proud of her and so honored to have known her and to be and to be her cat dad and to be her dad. I'm so proud of her and I love her so much. And a lot of so one day when I was down in the um, sitting in the RV and watching the RV for them while my parents were out of town, I was walking through the RV. I believe I was walking from the bedroom in the back up front to the kitchen. And as I stepped past the exit, the door to the outside, I heard a meow. I heard a meow. And I knew there was no one. I knew there was no one else in the RV but me. And I distinctively, immediately, I would swear on a Bible right now. I immediately was aware. I knew the tone of that meow. I knew the pitch of that meow. And it looked like a voice, like you're hearing my voice now. I knew that was Skittles' voice. And I knew immediately it was her. And I immediately, I was not scared. I can immediately say right, right now, definitively say right now, I was not scared. I was not afraid of anything. I was not worried. I was not scared. I was not concerned for anything. There was no amount of fear or consternation or anything 
in my body at all. I felt so, I felt so calm and so at peace and so loved that, that it was almost, I almost cried. It felt like Skittles was saying hello. Or wherever she was, she was saying hi. Or she was saying hello to me. And she was saying, it was a form of her saying, I love you. And I felt so touched and so overcome with joy and so overcome with love that there was nothing, there was nothing to fear. And there was no reason to be afraid of anything. And for the rest of the day, the rest of the time, I immediately told my parents about that and my view and how I view things like this. And I... I was so, for the rest of the day and the rest of my time, the time that I watched the RV for them, I was so happy. I was just, I had such a good time, such a good day and such a good week and whatever time left, 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 followed after that. I had such a good time and I felt, I honestly felt that Skittles was watching over me and she was protecting me and she was... As I think to this date, she is. She and both she and Tiggy are. And because she and Tiggy care about us and they love us as we do them. And they're protecting us. And I felt from that point on, from that moment on, that she was there and she was looking over us and she was caring for us. And she was, and that was her way of showing me that everything that's going through your head or everything that you worried about me not being there physically and me not being around you is not the case. I'm still there and I'm still with you. And this is my way of showing you that and telling you that. And I took it at that time, as I do today, I took it as a sign of love and a sign of caring and her showing me that she loves me. And what greater force is there in the world than to show someone you love them and to feel that, to feel loved and to be loved. And love transcends everything. It encompasses everyone, it transcends everything. Nothing can, can hold love down and nothing can stop love. And it lasts for everything. And that's her way of expressing that. So I, while I can't definitively say one way or the other, if, if ghosts exist, because I've seen, I've seen evidence and seen, seen or witnessed evidence where, where things have occurred that I can't, that no one, that I can't explain and that I doubt normal science could, or any normal science of anything could explain. I don't chalk it up to evidence of the paranormal. I just chalk it up to some kind of overall being, Skittles probably, some kind of overall something telling me that the way I had felt is not the case, reassuring me it was God's way or Skittles' way of showing me that the way I felt was not the case, that I was loved and that that she wasn't gone and that she loves me and I still feel that to this day and even right now as I'm saying this I'm getting a little as you can hear I'm getting a little choked up so as 
I know you can hear me, but I love you, Skittles. I love you so much. You don't know that. You don't know how much. And she's probably saying, I love you too. Or meowing that back. And it's, it's not something, like I said, it's not something to be afraid of. It's not something to be scared about, as I was. I was not. I was very heartwarmed. And it led me to wondering, what is ghost hunting? What is it? And, what, and if there's a history, what does the history come from? And what does the history entail? And this is a lot from different, from different websites, Wikipedia, um, the ASPCA I touched on, different situations, different sites throughout the world, different, different articles and institutions. But I've wondered, ghost hunting is the process of investigating locations that are reported to be haunted by ghosts. Typically, a ghost hunting team will attempt to collect evidence supporting the existence of paranormal activity. Ghost hunters use a variety of electronic devices, including EMF meters, digital thermometers, both handheld and static digital video cameras, including thermographic and night vision cameras night vision goggles, as well as digital audio recorders. Other more traditional techniques are also used, such as conducting interviews and researching the history of alleged haunted sites. Ghost hunters may also refer to themselves as paranormal investigators. Ghost hunting has been heavily criticized for its dismal, for its dismissal, not dismal, for its dismissal of the scientific method. No scientific study has ever been able to confirm the existence of ghosts. The practice is considered a pseudoscience by the vast majority of educators, academics, science writers, and of course, skeptics. Science historian Brian Regal describes ghost hunting as an unorganized exercise in futility. Paranormal research dates back to the 18th century with organizations such as the Society for Psychical Research investigating spiritual matters. Psychic researcher Harry Price published his, published his Confessions of a Ghost Hunter in 1936. Ghost hunting was popularized in the 2000s by television series such as Most Haunted, Most Haunted and Ghost Hunters. There's even something in Vegas with, with um, Zach Baggins' ghost 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 tour ghost stuff like that there that's in Vegas I remember seeing that a lot when I was just there uh, most haunted and ghost hunters combined with the increasing availability of high-tech equipment the Atlantic Paranormal Society reported it reported a doubling in their membership in the late in the late 2000s attributing this to the television programs despite its lack of acceptance in academic circles the popularity of ghost hunting reality TV shows has influenced a number of individuals to take up the pursuit. Small businesses offering ghost hunting equipment and paranormal investigation services increased in the 2000s. Many of many offer electromagnetic field meters, electromagnetic field meters or EMF meters, infrared motion sensors, and devices billed as ghost detectors. The paranormal boom is such that some small ghost hunting related businesses are enjoying increased profits through podcasts and website advertising, books, DVDs, videos, and other commercial enterprises. 
a lot of things a lot of things you'll see is you'll hear a lot about which actually the the thing that actually does, the the technology doesn't actually exist but um Egon Spengler in Ghostbusters which Ghostbusters 1 and 2 that those are classic movies that's something you really I heavily recommend you see great movies they call they um they have something called a PK meter um no I'm not 100% sure what PK stands for I believe it's psychokinetic but I could be wrong um or photokinetic I think it's actually psychokinetic um and that actually doesn't that actually doesn't exist but it's very very interesting to look into and a very 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 interesting study to to get into more and to talk about one ghost hunting group called a midwest haunting based in macomb illinois reported that the number of people taking its tours had tripled jumping from about 600 in 2006 to 1800 in 2008 Others, such as Mary, such as Mary Cuff of Idaho Spirit Seekers, pointed to an increased traffic on their website and message boards as an indication that ghost hunting was becoming more accepted. Participants say that ghost hunting sites, participants say that ghost hunting allows them to enjoy the friendship of like-minded people and actively pursue their interest in the paranormal. According to Jim Willis of Ghosts of Ohio, his group's membership had doubled, growing to 30 members since it was founded in 1999, and includes both true believers and total skeptics. Willis says his group is looking for answers one way or the other, and that skepticism is a prerequisite for those who desire to be taken seriously in this field. Author John Potts says that the present-day pursuit of amateur ghost hunting can be traced back to the spiritualist era and early in, and early organizations found to investigate paranormal phenomena like London's Ghost Club, the Ghost Club, and the Society for Cyclical Research. But that modern but but that modern investigators are unre- and are unrelated to academic parapsychology. Parapsychology, P-A-P-A-R-A-P-S-Y-C-H-O-L-O-G-Y, parapsychology. You can kind of get that just from the way I say it. Potts writes that modern ghost hunting groups ignore the scientific method and instead follow a form of techno-mysticism. The popularity of ghost hunting has led to some injuries. Unaware that a spooky home in Worthington, Ohio was occupied, a group of teenagers stepped on the edge of the property to explore. The homeowner fired on the teenager's automobile as they were leaving, seriously injuring one. A woman hunting for ghosts was killed in a fall from a University of Toronto building. An offshoot of ghost hunting is the commercial ghost tour conducted by a local guide or tour operator who is often a member of a local ghost hunting or paranormal investigation group. Since both the tour operators and owners of the reportedly haunted properties share profits of such enterprises, admissions typically ranging between $50 and $100 per person, some believe that some believe the claims of hauntings are exaggerated or fabricated in order to increase attendance. 
makes perfect sense. The city of Savannah, Georgia is said to be the American city with the most ghost tours, having more than 31 as of 2003. That, and if you go anywhere, anywhere, especially in here in Seattle and in Vegas, if you go anywhere, all the cities that have been around for a long, long time have ghost tours. Like I said, the two I just mentioned have the very famous, very popular ones that I know of. Um, and a lot of this, a lot of this goes back to people that famous characters, famous, famous people in, in the history of paranormal activity. Harry Price. He was born January 17th, 1881 to March 29th, 1948. He was a British parapsychologist, psychic researcher, and author who gained public prominence for his investigations into 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 psychical into psychical phenomenon, and his and his exposing of fraudulent spiritualist mediums, he is best known for his well-publicized investigation of the purportedly haunted Borley Borley Rectory in Essex, England. Price's exploits were given wide exposure in a 1950 book, Harry Price: Biology of a Ghost Hunter, by Paul Tabori. He was also a long-standing member of the Ghost Club based in London. Harry Price joined the Society for Cyclical Research in 1920 and used his knowledge of stage magic to debunk fraudulent mediums. In 1922, he exposed the spirit photographer William Hope. In the same year, he traveled to Germany together with Eric Dingwall and investigator Will Schneider at the home of Baron Albert von Schrenk Notzing in Munich. Sorry for the butchering, butchering of that name. I didn't look it over beforehand to try and not butcher it, <laughs> so I apologize. In 1923, Price exposed the medium Jan, Jan Guzik. According to Price, the man was clever, especially with his feet, which were almost as useful to him as his hands in producing phenomenon. See, are these thought to be paranormal investigators or mediums actually mentalists and actually magicians who are trying to say that their mediums are trying to perpetrate this belief to people who are actually using their medium skills and their magician skills to get something like this off the ground. Price wrote that a photo that photographs depicting ectoplasm of the medium Eva, Eva Carrier, taken with Shrank Notzing, looked artificial, and two-dimensional, ma- and two-dimensional, made from cardboard and newspaper portraits, and that there were no scientific controls as both her hands were free. In in 1920, Carrier was investigated by psych- by psychical researchers in London. An analysis of her ectoplasm revealed it to be made of to be made of chewed paper. She was also investigated in 1922. Result of the tests were negative. In 1925, Price investigated, investigated Maria Silbert and caught her using her feet and toes to move objects in the seance room. He also investigated the he also investigated lost my place the direct voice the direct voice mediumship of George Valentine in London at the seance. 
Valentin claimed to have con contact with the spirit of the composer Luigi Arditi. Speaking in Italian, Price wrote down every word that was attributed to Arditi, and they were found to be word-for-word -word matches in an Italian phrase book. So basically he's saying George Val George Val Valentin 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 sorry I butchered his name was actually memorized and actually quoted lines from an Italian phrase book instead of was communicating. He memorized those lines and was quoting them. In 1926, Price formed the National Laboratory, the National Laboratory of Cyclical Research as a, as a rival to the Society for Cyclical Research. Price made a formal offer to the University of London to equip and endow a department on cyclical research and to loan the equipment of the National Laboratory and its library. The University of London Board and Studies of Psychology responded positively to Price's proposal. And Oh, there's a couple here. Interesting little bit here. Ed and Laureen Warren. Ed and Lorraine. Lorraine. Ed and Lorraine, sorry, Warren. Ed Warren Minnie and Lorraine Rita Warren were American paranormal investigators and authors associated with prominent reports of a, of a haunting from the 1950s to the present. Ed was a World War II United States Navy veteran and former police officer who became a self-taught and self-professed demonologist author and lecturer. Lorraine professes to be clairvoyant and a light trance and a light trance medium who worked closely with her husband. In nineteen fifty two, the Warrens founded New the New England Society for Psychic Research, the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. They authored numerous books about the the paranormal and about their private investigations into various reports of paranormal activity. They claim to have investigated over 10,000 cases during their career and have been involved with various supernatural claims such as the Schneedecker family haunting and the Enfield poltergeist and the Smurl haunting, S-M-U-R-L, as well as the claims of demonic possession in the trial of, of Arnie Cheyenne Johnson. A lot of things have come up like what is what is truth what is hauntings if there's are they and this is one thing a truth fa a true story that actually happened near where i went to school and near where I'm, fr I'm from new york and one of these true stories is actually about Am amityville amityville actually exists and this the house exists the house where this this occurred exists and the basis of this is kind of is, is a kind of a true story is a true story. The Warrens are best known for their involvement in 1976 Amityville horror case, in which in which New York couple George and Kathy Lutz claimed claimed that their house was haunted by a violent demonic presence, so intense that it that it eventually drove them out of their home. The Amityville Horror Conspiracy authors Stephen and Roxanne Kaplan characterized the case as a hoax. Lorraine Warren told a reporter for the Express Times newspaper that the Amityville Horror was not a hoax. The reported haunting was the basis for the 1977 book The Amityville Horror, which was adapted into the 1979 and 2000 movies of the same name.
while also serving as an inspiration for the film series that followed. The Warren's version of events is partially adapted and portrayed in the opening sequence of The Conjuring 2. According, according to Benjamin Radford, the story was refuted by eyewitnesses, investigators, and forensic evidence. In 1979, lawyer, lawyer William Weber reportedly stated that he, Jay Anson, and the occupants invented the horror story over many bottles of wine. I'll go into a little bit more on the Amityville horror right now because like I said, like I said, it's a true story. There where where uh where it came from and how 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 it formed. So on November 13, 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot and killed six members of his family at 112 Ocean Avenue, a large Dutch colonial house situated in a suburban neighborhood in Amityville, an actual, an actual town, on the south shore of Long Island. He was convicted of second-degree murder in November 1975 and sentenced to six sentences of 25, to, 25 years to life in prison. DeFeo would go, to, go on to die in custody in March 2020, March 2021. He just died. Just recently. In December 1975, George and Kathleen Lutz and their three children moved into the house. After 28 days, the Lutzes fled the house claiming to have been terrorized by paranormal phenomenon while living there. There's a lot, there's a lot about, see, as you can, and there's, that's, I'd like to get into it a little bit more and touch on a little bit better for you. Um, but that actually, like I said, that actually happened. There, there, the things that, that the Lutzes, the things that George and Kathy Lutz and their families claim to have been chased out of their house by, demonic possessions and stuff like that they claim to have being possessed and being chased by the ghosts or of, of the people that Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot and killed they claim to have been affected by that and to be chased out of the house by that now whether or not that's true no one really knows except for George and Kathy Lutz and they know that Ronald DeFeo Jr. actually did that so that actually happened there's a lot to the story and a lot of very, very interesting stuff that I wish I could attack and get more into. But I don't mean, sorry to creep everyone out. But thank you all so much for tuning in and hanging around there. Stick around for a little bit more on the end here. Thank you all so much. Want to check out the best podcast and best YouTube channel out there? True, true friends of this podcast? Check out Fantastic Cruising over on Apple Podcasts and all your favorite podcasting devices and services. Give them a five-star review. Head on over to YouTube. Look up Fantastic Studios. Give them a five-star review and give them comments. They'll love that to death. They are the greatest podcast out there. Give them a shout-out. Want to go to the coolest place in Las Vegas? Stay at the best hotel casino where you're treated like family, 
friends and you feel like you belong and it's very comfortable and you even get to meet the CEO who greets everyone, go to the plaza. Stay at the plaza. Take my advice. You'll love it there. Please join me in supporting and giving to the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project. When you donate to the Pride Foundation, you join thousands of supporters building a better, safer, more equitable world for LGBTQIA people and their families. Every gift, whether $1 or $1,000, makes an impact for real people and ripples outward into our communities. There are many different ways to join and help the fight. Also go on to their websites for the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project and donate and help in any way possible. The Trevor Project offers support and help for LGBTQIA youth all over the country and all over the world. Please show them some love and give them some support.